Hey folks, Mark here. Uh, last month, I gave the main presentation at the IGDA TC game dev meeting about the game engine that I'm building for the upcoming Playdate handheld console. I've talked about it on the show before a little bit, but in this presentation, I go into a lot of detail on how I built it, why I built it, um, you know, some of its features and, uh, you know, what the plans for the future for it are. Um, and uh, we're going to present that here as an episode of the show. So um, if you'd like to see the video presentation where you get all my slides as well, uh, we'll have that on the show page at nicegames.club. One word of warning is a couple of spots in the audio recording where there's a few hiccups. You know, it's not too bad. Uh, just so you know, nothing wrong with your device. It's just the audio recording. Um, all right. Well, enjoy. All right. Uh, this is my presentation, uh, and you can see it's got a little bit of a preamble here. Just imagine yourself in detention. Captain America comes down and sits, and he, he so you made a game engine. Um, this is my presentation. It's a mistake by Mark LaCroix. Uh, I'm going to get into why I did this, um, what, uh, why it was a good idea, why it wasn't a good idea, um, and um, the sort of the unique situation I found myself in where I didn't expect uh, to be doing this. But first, um, a little bit about me. Um, these are some of the games uh, that I have made and some of the things I'm working on. Um, I'm currently in development on two of my own titles, um, uh, including a follow-up to Widget Satchel, which came out in 2019, uh, as well as a game I've been working on for years and years and years called Metro Nexus that folks in the community should uh, remember a little bit. That's still in development, I promise. Um, and um, I've also, uh, currently, I'm working with uh, Tendershoot. This is the team that made Hypnospace Outlaw. I'm working on their next game, and I'm really, really excited uh, for to for people to learn what we've got planned. And uh, it's exciting for me because I'm, I'm doing uh, uh, development tools um, and building uh, structures and systems. And that's very vague, but once you know what we're doing, um, you'll know why that this leans pretty well into the work I'm doing here to build this game engine for a separate project. Um, I also co-host a weekly indie dev podcast. A lot of you, I think, know this, Nice Games Club with my pals, Ellen and Steven. Um, I'm super proud of the show, especially this past year in the pandemic. I think we've done a really good job not skipping a beat and sort of growing the show and, and, and doing more with it and taking advantage where we can um, in, in tough times for everybody. And so um, I, I, I you know, want people to know that it exists and I want more people to listen to it. Uh, we do topic-based roundtable discussions on game dev, big topics, little topics, technical topics, social topics. Um, we also have guests that share their expertise on topics uh, that are important to them. And we do game jam episodes um, as well. So you can see us create a game in real time. So that's my pitch for uh, Nice Games Club. I do hope you check it out. Um, this is probably a weird week to become a subscriber to the show. We just recorded our first episode um, in person in over a year, and um, it was uh, really cathartic for us. And so that episode is just us goofing off. But I promise you, we are not one of those kinds of podcasts. We are much more organized generally. So uh, maybe give it a taste to get our sense of humor, but then go back into the archive if you're a new listener uh, and check out something that might be interesting to you. So that's a little bit about me and my background, the stuff I'm working on. But specifically, I want to talk about uh, this game, Widget Satchel 2, um, Return of Sprocket. This is a game that I'm developing for the play date, and I will um, show that off here. And you can see it's got the little fun crank, and it opens up, and this is this is a one of the mini games in Widget Satchel 2, and that's about all the taste I can give to you um, because I'm being really, really cagey, not because there isn't much else to show. That's totally not the reason. Um, but uh, that's what I'm talking about now because this is uh, all about the play date. Uh, so what is the play date? Uh, first, it's cute. Um, and if you need any kind of supporting evidence for that, just look at it. I'll give you a minute. All right, there you go. Um, it has this unique charm that is sort of inescapable, right? It's, it's, it's part of the presentation. It's part of the, 
um, the marketing and the device itself, of course. It, it's inescapable and it informs everything else about it, um, which is really cool. It's like an opinionated piece of hardware. And I think this is a, one of the things that makes it unique. Um, you know, you have an Xbox, you have a PlayStation. They have, I mean, PlayStation 5 has a, a unique de opinionated design, but the platform itself is this is a game console. Put a game on it, right? And it's supposed to be there to for an unlimited potential. Um, and that's really important sometimes. But also it's sometimes it's to say, this is what this is for. And I think that's what Playdate is, is these are, um, you know, it doesn't constrain the imagination exactly. It puts a box for which you develop your imagination in. And I'm a big believer in constraints, breeding creativity. And uh, Playdate absolutely is that. Um, the other thing about it is that it's small, so obviously, but not just in size, in scope. It's a small scoped uh, thing. Um, it has, um, you know, uh, it's the, the, the CPU is constrained. It has a, the screen has two fewer colors than Game Boy. That's, you know, and, and, um, and, and as a developer, you work within those constraints. And that's important because it sort of defines what you can do, but also um, uh, lets you know that th what this is for, these, the types of games you make and the types of experiences you want to have. Um, like, for example, there's Wi-Fi on the device, but there's nothing in the SDK to allow for networking. Even though it's perfectly possible and capable of doing that, it's just not part of the roadmap for the device. And that has a specific design reason. That's not a, there's not a technical reason for that. So I think that's really interesting um, about it as a, sort of a, a small project. It's not looking to change the world, uh, like I was saying in the pre-show. It's just looking to carve out a space. And I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, the other thing is that it's open. So um, every console is a dev kit. Um, and eventually the developer tools that I've had access to for the past year will be available to everybody else. Um, and um, But there's more to its openness than just the sort of um, the open platform that it's it's being developed with. It's um, it's open in terms of who uh, is going to be making games for this. And I don't mean just hobbyists or people who aren't in a professional sphere, um, but I mean, you know, the folks who are uh, disadvantaged or underrepresented in game development. Uh, Panic, the company that makes the device, is doing a lot to um, try to get it in the hands of people who uh, don't have the normal pathways in um, or aren't advantaged or privileged in the way that a lot of us are. And I think it's really exciting to see them work on things like that. There's a great example. It's a company called Sweet Baby, um, and they have been putting together dev teams of underrepresented developers with more as a team with more established sort of coaches um, in, the, in the indie space. And then they are all making a game together. Um, and what's great about that is that one of the barriers that they've identified is to get into games, you need your name, you need a credit, you need your name on a game. And uh, because of the scale of, of Playdate projects, and because, um, oh yeah, I didn't go back to slides. Well, there we go. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, because of the scale of the project, um, and because of um, what, um, um, what the sort of path in, it'll give a lot of people something to put on their resume. And that alone is really, really important. But also, it means the games that get made are of a, uh, from diverse backgrounds, and they can be new and different uh, just by virtue of it being uh, created by uh, lots of different types of people. So that's really exciting to me um, as someone who um, you know, is, is uh, um, insufferably indie and independent, but also uh, has lots of privilege and advantage. Um, so it's nice to see that um, Playdate as a project is committed to, to uh, providing access to both of those avenues. Um, anyway, I, I can go on and on about that, and I probably will a little bit later, because that's a big part of why I'm excited about this project, even though it's not the topic of this talk. Um, Playdate is also coming soon. Uh, Pre-orders will start in July uh, next month, and then it should be in your hands before the fall. Uh, that is the plan. All right. Um, hopefully my audio is still pretty, is okay, because I've got a little bit of a bit to show. Um, yesterday, panic, this was yesterday, um, so the timing for my talk is pretty good. I get to share a lot. 
Um, they released a 15 minute long sort of Nintendo Direct style video with a lot of the new info, uh, including some of the stuff I've shared already. Um, I'm just going to show a brief excerpt that sort of just describes the device a little bit, a little bit of ad for it. So uh, we'll give that a listen. I love it. What is it? It's a new thing. It plays games. Uh, I already have a thing that plays games. Me too, but this is a little different. We wanted to try something different, and so we did the most difficult, different thing that you could possibly. Let's take another look. Say hello to Playdate. Ooh, I like it. Yeah? Yeah. Thanks. That means a lot. Here's a hand. Playdate fits right there. There's an A button, B button, D-pad, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, USB-C, all the hits. <coughs> Wait, what's that thing? That? That's the crank. It's a crank. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, what is it? The crank. You crank it. Like this. It can control the games. It's fun. Now look at this. The display. Extremely high resolution. Is there a backlight? No, but the screen is super reflective. You can even play it by candlelight. Really? Maybe. It's a little bit of that uh, clip. Uh, you sort of see uh, the sort of uh, intent and charm. And um, the whole 15 minutes is really worth your watch. So you should check that out. Um, but also as part of that video, there was a section about a lot of the developers uh, who are making games. And so if you just keep your eyes open, don't blink or you'll miss it. But here's a, a short taste of what is being done in the development community. In addition to this, we've watched in amazement as the talented folks in our Playdate developer preview have been creating amazing titles on their own. So there's a lot more in that section of the video. Um, that's just a portion of it. Um, but a lot that section where it's showing off games from the development preview community. Um, those are the games that I've seen a lot of uh, as they've been made. Some of the higher profile uh, titles that have been announced by really high end indie devs. Um, I, I haven't been seeing behind the scenes of any of that stuff. But um, the developing community has been sharing their ideas, their uh, progress. We've all been dealing with bug fixes, and we've been like really helping each other out. So the fact that Panic, who's you know taking a big bet on this project of theirs, devoted like 10% of their presentation, their E3 presentation, uh, to the work from us uh, is really exciting. And yeah, if you didn't blink it, you missed, uh, uh, you would have missed, um, or you wouldn't have missed uh, Widget Satchel 2 right at the top there. And so I'm really, really proud uh, to be a part of uh, that and just excited um, that is uh, working on something new and interesting and novel. I talked a little bit about that with Dev uh, earlier. Uh, so again, totally worth checking out the whole thing. Um, I just showed those two clips that were sort of relevant to this. Um, so a little bit of background on the developer preview program. So um, Playdate was announced in 2019 um, and Panic started courting uh, uh, developers for their season one, which is the free games that come with the, uh, the Playdate. Um, that, is, that was a process that sort of happened sort of in secret, partly because um, one of the things that Panic wanted to do for their season one games is they are delivered to the device automatically week after week, and they're meant to be a surprise. So um, they just revealed this week the titles and some visuals for all of them, but still very little details. Um, we know who's working on them now. We know we can guess what they are, but it's still a mystery until it's in your hands. I think that's a really exciting idea. Um, but uh, that's one of the reasons why we didn't know a lot about it up until now is because it was part of the, the, the design. But they, they still want more software, um, partly because it's an open platform. And so uh, last year they started, um, well, actually uh, mid-2019, actually, they started taking uh, applications for their developer preview program, um, which is just a way to get uh, more folks in, folks like me. 
Um, the uh, devs could purchase uh, early units, get access to the, the beta SDK, uh, and it was lottery based. So there was no is an application, but you just they rolled a die and then you got in or you got in. So um, that is how I got uh, into the program just by luck of the draw. And uh, but on top of that, uh, like I was mentioning earlier, they'd set aside a portion of the of their units um, to target um, underrepresented and disadvantaged developers um, to make sure that the development community was more diverse than you might expect. Um, when um, you have a program like this, where it's sort of easier for people to devote the time and the resources and to take the chances um, when they don't have uh, a lot to risk. And so um, it, um, um, and they have enough resources to take those risks. So it's really cool that they were able to do that. Uh, and that was really exciting. Um, so I was randomly selected in May 2020. And this is when the pandemic was just starting to be like, oh, this isn't going to be over anytime soon. And so emotionally, it was really nice to have this new fun thing to sort of keep my mind off of it. Uh, at a time when it was tough for all of us um, uh, to sort of, uh, you know, find our new habits and our new places um, in, in the, the, as it was stretching on. So I, I'm very thankful and feel very lucky that I got that random call because it, it meant a lot to me last year to get started in this, independent of the success of the product or the success of my work or anything. It was just a good thing I needed at that time in my life. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the dev um, environment. So the SDK is still not finished. Um, it's really robust. It's very good shape, but it's not officially done. Uh, and so they haven't announced a, a release for it uh, for public consumption, um, but it will come before the device is out. So it should be uh, within the next couple of weeks or months. Um, it should be pretty soon, but they haven't nailed it down yet, even to us. Um, and you don't need a device uh, to develop for it. So once the SDK is released, the simulator, um, which is a great app that simulates the device and will actually, uh, you can use your keyboard or, your, or another controller to, to uh, control it. Um, uh, will be all you need to make games. Uh, of course, testing on device, that's a whole other deal that you probably want to do. Um, but just to get going, you don't need to purchase anything. It should all be free, which is really, really nice. Um, and the reason that the SDK isn't available yet is not just because it's not finished. Uh, it's because Panic is a very small company and they want to make sure, this is what they've said, uh, they want to make sure that they um, are not um, overwhelming the, their dev support team uh, as the, the, the developer community uh, grows. And so the, there, there's probably some unanswered questions about that, I think. Um, my opinion is that I think they should just release it sooner than later and then um, and then, you know, take the temperature and see what they can handle um, in terms of, uh, you know, opening up the, the developer discord and stuff. I, think, I always think more access is better, even in spite, even in spite of the consequences. But I have a vested interest in that because the tools I'm developing are going to be for that future audience. And I'll talk about that going forward. Um, so I can talk a ton about the um, SDK's uh, features or the, the APIs. Um, I don't have an NDA or anything, but I think that the panic has asked us to say, talk about what you're making, not about we're make, what we're, we're making. And I, I want to respect that um, because even though I don't like NDAs, I'm perfectly happy to, uh, uh, you know, um, to respect people's wishes in this case. So it's definitely the case here. But if you do want to know some of the details, some of it is available to you on the Internet. Um, um, there are some walkthroughs that were posted last year, a bit outdated. Uh, if you want to take those YouTube links before I get to the next slide. Uh, those all show like unboxing and um, installing the development environment. And uh, th those are all um, either, uh, you know, uh, um, they've been sanctioned, uh, you know, by panic. There's no, they're independent, but there weren't any, there's no, it's not a leak of information. It's just out there if you want it. It's just kind of like not uh, super uh, forward. But if you really want to know more about the real nitty gritty of it, uh, setting up an environment and all that, you can check out those links. Um, but basically, you just need to know it works a lot like a mobile device does now. Um, you write code for it, you simulate it in an application, and then you deploy it to the device to test. It's a pretty simple workflow, um, and actually, it's quite a lot easier than developing for, um, uh, say, like the iPhone or Android, um, because there are, there are fewer 
considerations towards the rest of the operating system because it's a thing for games. And so it's, um, it's a great tool if you're familiar with that kind of process, um, but also really easy to learn that style of process, which if you want to do mobile development in the future, it's actually a good introduction to that kind of deployment, which is really cool. Um, my, I don't have a lot of experience with like retro devices, uh, you know, or, or, you know, doing assembly for NES or anything like that. Um, but my impression is that um, from working with the Playdate is it's, it's really a blend of a modern device and an 8-bit console. So um, it has, it's CPU constrained. Um, it has very little VRAM, but you're wiping the screen every frame anyway. Um, and and so the resolution is such that you're not going to fill it up by much. So uh, it's actually not constrained by... Uh, by how much how much graphics you want to put on there, you can run full frame, sixty frame uh, sprite sheets without any trouble, like eight layers of it. Um, but, and so there's a it's a couple of interesting considerations if you're thinking of like working with other types of constrained hardware. Um, and so I kind of imagine it's a little bit of a mix of what it must have been like in the old uh, you know eight bit computer days when you had to decide: am I going to write this loop or should I just write the same code four times, which is faster? You know, um, there's a little bit of that going on. Uh, because of the sort of direct drawing API and all of that that, that happens on the device. Um, so that's been kind of um, fun and very different from, say, coding in other uh, for other platforms or other engines and things like that. Um, it has lots of modern hardware features, too, which is really interesting. It's got Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, accelerometer. It's got a microphone. Um, so you can get lots of fun Nintendo DS-style uh, things. So that's exciting for me because uh, Widget Satchel 2 is essentially a minigame compilation. So I'm really trying to. It's kind of the... A little bit of Wii Sports in a way. I'm trying to make use of every piece of the of the Buffalo uh, in order to to make an interesting uh, game for it, and it, it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, I do want to mention that there's a bit of a Mac versus Windows kind of growing pains for the SDK. When I joined the program, the SDK was available on Windows, but the simulator wasn't, um, and so um, I actually was running a um, you know don't tell Apple, but I was running a a, a VM uh, in VMware my Windows machine just so I could run the Mac simulator app, and I would compile the application on my Windows machine. I had a shared folder with the VM, and then I would open it, and it was like a whole process. But I got it kind of working smoothly after a while, and it was definitely worth it for me. Um, but um, the reason I mention it is because like Panic is a Mac company; they make Mac applications, um, not games. They make applications, utility applications for the Macintosh, and the Macintosh uh, for Macs. And um, and so them, they recognized right away that they needed to uh, make sure that the tools were available on Windows and on Linux, but they didn't have the specific expertise to make that work exactly. So they did a pretty good job bringing on people to make that happen. But there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a stumble on the way there. Now it's perfect parity between all three platforms. Uh, but it was interesting. And I think that's something you want to consider for yourself when you want to take the, you know, the plunge on new hardware and new platforms is you have to be flexible about your own uh, requirements and, um, you know, uh, and be prepared to do a little bit of extra work uh, for a little while. And, and that was something that like was frustrating at times, but also um, I, it, later on, I appreciated that um, because, it, you know, if I had waited until it was all running smoothly, I wouldn't have had a lot of the experience that I developed in those early months. Um, okay, so I do want to talk about Lua. Um, Lua is the programming language that um, the Playdate uses. Um, and uh, uh, some of you may be familiar with Lua. Um, it's an embedded scripting language that's very commonly seen in other games and applications. Uh, people have used it to like mod Minecraft or World of Warcraft. It has first-class support in like um, user-generated games like Roblox and Tabletop Simulator. Um, other engines use it. The Love Engine uh, uses it. Uh, CryEngine, surprisingly, I didn't I learned this this week, uh, uses Lua also for user scripting. Um, it's used to build UIs and other apps. Uh, it's given over to <laughs> front-end developers uh, to make HUDs for games so they don't break anything because the idea is it's a, it's like scripting within scripting. 
Um, embedded scripting is not something I have a lot of background or familiarity with. I have a, I have a sort of a layperson's understanding of it uh, even now. Um, but Lua kind of works like that way on the play date as well, in a sense that uh, under the hood, it's all C, um, uh, just good old C running on this hardware. And then Lua runs on top of that. And it provides a lot more features in the API. There is a C API. You can just write your games directly in C, um, but it's a little bit uh, less user friendly. It doesn't have quite all the features that the Lua framework has. And, um, and from what I understand, and I don't know this uh, personally, but um, uh, Lua is supposedly of these types of scripting, uh, embedded scripting languages, it's the fastest there is. Um, so there are performance uh, hits you take from doing graphics calls in Lua versus graphics calls in C, but um, it's actually apparently, the delta is not that big, apparently. Um, really only go to C if you really, really need some oomph. And that's not me, and that's not what I expect people who use my engine to do. So that's definitely why um, I wanted to, to maintain working in Lua. Now, Lua itself is nonsense. Like, I don't know how many programmers are listening right now, but it is crazy. The syntax is totally confused. If you can see the, the, on my screen there, you see that uh, uh, blocks of code are, co are ended with the word end. Like, why? Like, it's just weird. It's like this um, uh, needless verbosity. Like, so, like, oh, so people understand like a, like a human readable. But then there are other parts of the language that are just like kind of a cunning inscrutableness. Um, it's, it, it's bizarre. Sometimes it feels like, oh, we want to make sure this is super easy to learn and easy to read. And other times it's like, oh, we're just going to not write this part and assume it were, it's there so that you can't, it's impossible to read. I, I'm not making sense to a lot of people, but if you, if you've used Lua, you kind of know. Arrays are one indexed. Nothing can be nil. Everything is just, n uh, or nothing can be null. I see I'm already doing it. You, things are nil instead. So if you say, hey, does this variable exist? Lua comes back to you and says, of course it does. You just asked for it which is so bizarre to me, but it kind of makes sense in this terms of this embedded scripting. Um, if you're using it like I'm using it, which is sort of similar to an object-oriented kind of language, there are some things to get over. Um, one of the things that I found really fun is the creator of itch.io, the, the indie game store, one of the, his projects earlier on in his career was a, 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 a language called MoonScript, which was just lived on top of Lua. So if anyone's used TypeScript, TypeScript is object-oriented JavaScript, but you don't need anything special it uh, compiles down to JavaScript, so it runs anywhere JavaScript does. Um, MoonScript is like that for Lua, and it seems that it was designed entirely to, to make it easier to read for programmers um, because of all the weird choices that Lua makes. Um, just sort of random differences for absolutely no reason. It's very bizarre, and, but I, now I'm into it, so I will say there's a lot of cool things about Lua. Um, everything is tables. Uh, it's tables all the way down. Um, it's a dynamic programming language, which is, I, I, I have, very little patience for generally. But what's cool about it in Lua is that you can override a method at runtime, um, which is really interesting. And it makes things very flexible. Uh, code will fail gracefully, but not in like the awful way that JavaScript does it. And so you can write really flexible, clever code. Um, and um, you know, a lot of the things that you learn not to do as a programmer, and I'm a self-taught programmer, so it's kind of like converts or um, Converts make the best adherence. There's a phrase I'm not quite getting right there. Um, and I, so I was like, I need to know the dogma because no one's teaching it to me. So I have to be really strict about that stuff. And so I did that for myself as I was learning uh, programming principles. And Lua is just like, eh, don't worry about it. Like <laughs> everything just kind of does what it, it's uh, the wild west in there. And a lot of the things that like the compiler will send you to the principal's office for. Um, in Lua, you can take those and just make them interesting tricks. Um, and that's, I'm being very vague, but like as you write it, you're like, oh, okay, I don't have to do any of that checking. I can just cheat my way to success. Um, it's it's kind of great. Um, but at the same time, it might just be kind of great because it's what's in front of me and I have to learn to love it. Um, okay, so um, 
I'm long preamble here before I get into properly making my engine and why I did it. And and this is the pivot point in the talk. Um, an SDK is not an engine. Um, you can get it's you know it's a library on top of a programming language, but it's not a full engine and it's not designed to be. Um, one of the things that I think um, happens with a really robust SDK like the Playdate has is that it gets close enough to fool you. And I think a lot of us in the developer preview have definitely been in a situation where we're like, wow, there's, there's so much that this can do for us. We can do, you know, it's it's practically everything we need. And then you get a little bit far enough and you realize, oh, no, no, actually, it's actually missing quite a lot because it wasn't intended to be a full uh, uh, development environment. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Flash API. If anybody's used ActionScript um, to, to develop uh, Flash applications in code, it's very much like that, um, where I felt for a long time uh, doing um, Flash that I could get really far before realizing that the stuff was missing. So the things that an SDK has, but a, an engine uh, will bring to it is, uh, so the SDK, the Playdate SDK has a great file system API for serializing uh, uh, tables into JSON, but there's no save data system, right? You have to sort of develop that yourself. Um, it has a really easy way to create input methods to decide what happens when you press the B button. But there's no real way, uh, uh, in my opinion, I think, there's no real way to organize them. Uh, you have to sort of build that yourself. Um, there's a, a way you can do object-oriented programming, um, which sort of uh, helps your sanity as a developer, but there's a few obvious use cases for it suggested by the SDK. Uh, there's one exception, which is sprites. Uh, sprites are, um, um, are really good in the, in the Playdate SDK and feel a little bit engine-y. Um, and you can, you know, you can derive from Sprite and make your own objects and, and have your own running code and all that inside of those objects. Uh, and there's a display list metaphor we're adding and removing that circumvents the draw call, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, but that's kind of the, principal example the, there's very other there's it's available to you but nothing in the sdk other than that really takes advantage of it um in lua everything is global and so it, you can data always knows about everything else which is sort of a encapsulation uh, no no but it's perfectly fine for games um but i think an event system i think would be better um and uh, another developer in the preview has created a, um, an event system library that I'm going to be moving into the engine. So that's been really nice that other people are making little tools for each other, but has passing around on, on the forums. And I'm going to see how much of that I can pull in uh, with those developers' permission, of course. Um, it has the SDK has a great way to handle sprite sheets. Um, it's really really simple and clean, um, but there's no um, state logic. So uh, this was a really big one for me. Um, you know, if you have a, a, um, a sprite sheet object, especially if you're working in 2D games, uh, you know this from working in Unity or anything else that has 2D capabilities. Um, you want states, you want uh, idle, you want run, you want jump, you want all of those different things. You want them to be able to interact with each other. And um, there's nothing in the SDK that, in, that allows for that um, necessarily. Um, you can just sort of call up things, have them loop, start and stop frames. It's all very... Um, it's sort of hard to read if you're writing code that way. So I wanted to build a state logic, so state machine for animations. Um, but the most important thing that's missing from uh, a mo pretty much any just straight SDK, no matter how much it gives you, is a scene metaphor, which I think is really important to games. Unity developers know all about scenes. Um, they kind of um, they have a uh, they have a very outsized influence on how you develop a Unity project. Um, but this is uh, um, extends to other types of engines as well. It's less about like a scene per level or a scene for the start screen or something, although that is certainly how you would generally use it. It's really about tracking objects, managing memory, encapsulating things like um, update loops. Um, so you have a, this, this update loop is only running when I need it to run and not at other times. I don't need to go down that path of code when I'm not using it. Um, and just to organize all that into a scene object, I think is a pretty important thing to developing games and getting past a prototype stage. Just organizing your code so that it's like, you know, 
chapters in a book and not like socks on the floor. Uh, as much as I enjoy that, uh, uh, having being the developer of, of Widget Satchel, um, having socks all over the floor, that's not a great way to organize your code. Um, so thus, the Noble Engine, this is what I came up with. And the process was, I had taken a couple of, of months away from Playdate uh, um, in the uh, last fall, um, and I came back to it in the winter. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, I actually didn't build a lot of the bones of this thing. I was just like toying with ideas and I had written a ton of code and made a bunch of things, but it was all still kind of not usable from a, you know, uh, it was all just in test phases. And I didn't realize that until I came back to it after a while. So I'm like, all right, before I get back into this code base, I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm going to build the Ikea shelf, right? I'm going to, so that I can put all the code I've already written slot it where, where it needs to go. And that was my only plan. I just needed something to get past the prototyping stage so I could then continue to make the rest of the application. Um, and I was inspired by this by a lot of the code-only engines that I had used back in the Flash days, uh, which is something that I did quite a lot of um, back 100,000 years ago when Flash was king, um, is using those frameworks. And I learned a lot from, from those. Um, and so I sort of applied a lot of that knowledge uh, to, uh, to uh, Widget Satchel 2. And so I started abstracting a bunch of components. And just uh, suddenly I had a game engine. Like it really was just, I realized suddenly like, oh my, this is, this, this is so abstracted. I really put myself into this task that I can just carve this out and use it for anybody. So I sort of committed to making it an engine for anybody. Um, and so part of it was a, uh, an opportunity um, and much less a desire going in. Um, but you still have to justify it. So why would anybody make a new game engine? So you don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? That's the worst thing. Um, you know, if you have a new and better wheel, great. Um, but just to make it again, that's not a good reason. Uh, you can spend your time on other things. But it's, it is good to invent the wheel. I know it's a hot take that wheels are great and they deserve to exist. But I think if there's no wheel, please invent it. Um, now, the real uh, um, trick, as always, is knowing the difference. And um, I feel I, I, I'm inventing the wheel rather than reinventing it. But I'm willing to be wrong about that. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to sort of live with the consequences of being wrong because sometimes reinventing the wheel is fun. But I, for now, I'd like to think that I'm actually just inventing it. Um, so why did I do this specifically? Um, you know, why did I create an engine in an unfamiliar language that I was still learning? Um, why did I create it for an unreleased device um, that, you know, I had no idea if it would be interesting to anybody to use? Um, a lot of it really was about, I have sort of opinions about how games are built. Um, and I think everybody does this after you've structured things for a while. You're like, it should work this way. And so um, I thought, well, I'll make something that has those opinions and see what other people think. Um, and that's been something that has been kind of codifying how I make things. Um, so that's a big part of my motivation, but there's more and I'll get to that in a little bit. But for now, demo time, folks. Um, we're gonna take a look at the code um, just a little bit to kind of get a peek at um, how uh, uh, in-game works. So the first thing uh, you, with Noble Engine is you download the template project. So the template project has example scenes, it has a, a hierarchy uh, for files, and this is part of the opinions that I'm, I'm mentioning. It's, um, I sort of think, you know, libraries should go in a library folder, right? This is a thing I'm always dragging Unity about, that when you install a third-party library, it just sticks it in the root of your project. Like, that's friggin' dangerous. I don't like that. Um, you know, uh, also, you know, how uh, naming conventions and certain things that I feel like I have opinions on that are the types of things that I think people would be happy to to adopt, but also perfectly happy to work around, um, if I'm making any sense there. So a template project helps you say, this is how you use Noble Engine. Um, because, uh, and we'll get to documentation in a bit, but I think it's important to, if you're gonna want 
especially if you're going to ask somebody to use something that's not finished, that might be a little bit broken in places, you want to make it easy for them. And so I made the template project. Um, and th so this is the example scenes that I give you that you if you download the, the project. And this is how you make a, a, a noble engine game. You import the library, uh, you import all the scenes that you have in your game. And in this one, it's just two. You can set up settings and game data uh, stats. So each one of these settings and game data are a class. Uh, I say that with air quotes because uh, in Lua, it doesn't quite exist that same way. But you can define all the different properties of, of, a, of a settings object or a game data object. And then you can also save to disk, load from disk, save to memory, and then only save to disk on a checkpoint. I have a full API for this stuff that I think um, should um, make it a lot easier for people to take what, um, and I think we've all had this experience. You make a game and then you realize, oh, I need to have some save data. And you're like, ugh, how, where, how do I figure that out? I wanted that to be right out of the box ready for people when they're making a Noble Engine game. A um, couple of functions. There's a, a, a frames per second uh, utility in the SDK. I wanted to make it really simple to access that. So I've subtracted that away. Hey, Mark here from the editing booth. This portion of the presentation has two problems. Um, one, uh, the audio is very bad and very choppy. Uh, it gets about as bad as it ever does uh, through this recording. And the reason for that is my computer just couldn't handle the streaming, showing off all the different software that I was using and running the slides. So it kind of just gave up a little bit. And so it's hard to listen to. Um, but the other problem with it is that it's mostly a visual aid. So if you're listening to the podcast, uh, it's not that valuable to you. So I'm just going to talk over it now. Um, you're not missing a ton uh, if you don't uh, go back and watch it there. So I'm just going to cut this now and get back to when uh, the audio gets a little bit better and uh, the demo starts wrapping up. We get right back into the actual meat of the uh, presentation. So here we go. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A block code that happens once the scene is fully loaded and the transition is complete. So one of the things that Noble Engine does is it suspends user input completely during a scene transition, because I know one of the difficulties I've had creating games is um, not anticipating when button inputs are going to happen and expecting that players will not press buttons when I don't expect them to. And so making sure that 
um, when a scene is over that that it's completely disposed of and then the new scene uh, comes in, that's pretty important to me. So that was something I did in there. Um, of, you know, the different libraries, so like how and put in here, and I'm not sure how useful it's going to be to be pouring through this all because you don't know the SDK and I can't show it to you yet. Um, but basically taking a lot of functions that um, the SDK offers in terms of input and abstracting it away, putting them all in one more easy to organize place um, and taking functions that are in various parts of the SDK and kind of bringing them back into the, you know, the, the, the input metaphor. Um, and uh, also I'm sure that you have an input um, uh, manager for each scene. So if you want to have one for levels and one for menus, at the beginning of a scene, you can say, use this uh, manager, use that manager. Um, one of the constraints that I put on the SDK was that um, you can um, have, um, uh, in the SDK, you can have as many input uh, uh, types as you want, any, any enough listeners to listen for B button presses and whatever. But a Noble Engine constrains all that and says you're going to have one input library of input methods per scene um and you're free to break that rule and go beyond the bounds out of the box it's not going to be so daunting and unorganized at that so that's been a big part of of doing that, that sort of thing um you know uh, animation states you have some example code as to how you might update stuff like that so a lot of this is very familiar to people who have worked with similar languages and i definitely wanted to make it easy to learn for people to understand some of those conventions already um, we're also trying to make sure that it's very specific to the play date and the advantages and limitations it has and also throwing in my opinionation, uh, my opinionated uh, feelings about how games should be made. So that's been important for me as well. So that's a, a brief, very, very high level at some of the code there. Um, so um, you can see uh, that um, the game needs documentation. So one of the great things about um, um, a, um, um, a, a library when you want to use it is, is really well done documentation. And I'm not a trained technical writer, um, but it's something I like to do. <laughs> I'm a hobbyist. Um, so, I, but the first thing is I needed to know why I was doing things a certain way. So, you know, a lot of things are, is, is design, not just code, right? So how is it designed? How is it organized? And so I wanted to say, well, if I step away from my own project for a week and come back to it, I need to know why it works this way. Um, so I can get that out of my active memory, right? And just let it, so I can refer to my own documentation for that. So that's really important. Um, but then I also need to help others understand it. So if I have an opinion on how this thing works, just providing the tools isn't going to be enough. I've used a lot of libraries where if something is, um, you know, it even has really good comments, but if it's not organized in a really uh, specific way, um, and the and the documentation is not really clear as to why things the way they, they are, I end up just not using a lot of its features. And then it's a waste of that the developer's time who made this tool for me because I'm not using it enough. And it's a waste of me because I'm like reinventing the wheel within the wheel they invented. Um, and so documentation is extremely important to me, especially because of the audience that I want to target this towards. Um, and so I uh, have this uh, documentation. It describes every one of these uh, modules uh, in Noble Engine. And that's really important to me. Looks nice and it's easy to read, that it has good spacing, that it's legible. Um, and I think people will be the judge of that when I get feedback and I'll take um, a lot of that under advisement. It has usage examples. Um, and the thing about this documentation is it has to be easy to write. Um, it has to be something that I can do without having to like recreate these HTML pages every time. And so there's a great tool um, uh, that is called LDoc. Uh, and LDoc is a fantastic sort of autodoc tool. Lots of languages have autodocs, um, little utilities that you sort of like scan this folder and, uh, and, and generate documentation for me. Um, one thing it does, and so you, if you see my engine code, 
there's a ton of these comments and all of the documentation is derived from these comments uh, using a syntax uh, that is that is readable to this at this uh, this utility uh, and so it took me a long time to figure out um i uh, um was uh, not <laughs> happy about it at first um it just was not fun to set up but i got to write uh, css uh, templates which i love doing i love css is so much fun and so i got to write uh, a little web page and i have a, a, a button i press now whenever i make changes to the code i say update the documentation and it does it all automatically so that's been really really re rewarding for me um, and I do hope it's valuable for other people because um, that, I think, is the hardest thing. I know that Panic themselves are having, um, you know, because their SDK is a lot more going on than my, you know, layer on top of it. Um, it, it explaining that to people with their documentation, which is pretty good, but um, it's it's a big challenge. And they're definitely looking for feedback on how to make that better for people. Um, and so I, I I took that some of the discussions they were having and I'm like, well, I'm going to take treat it just as seriously. And so uh, and that's what I did. Um, the other thing about an engine like this is it's got to be free, right? It's got to be free and open source. Um, that is the only way uh, to distribute something like this, the only practical way, um, you know, uh, to make it. It also allows for uh, contributions. Um, you know, at some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm making things in the engine that I don't need for Widgets Hatchel two, and that's fine. But like, why am I making those things? <laughs> like, why can't we have? Uh, somebody else contributing. If they want that feature, uh, they can write it. They can contribute it, uh, and then it can be a, the engine can be an expression of my opinion, but also of the people who are uh, are invested enough to contribute to Noble Engine. And I, so I do want a, a developer community. I'm not looking to for it to be a huge project. Um, I'm not looking for you know dozens of maintainers, um, but I definitely want to encourage people if they um, are getting into playdate development and want to use Noble Engine and think it's missing something. I very much want them to help um, add, uh, you know, th th those features to it. Uh, so I'm excited about that future. Um, and um, I've already got a couple of pull requests, um, which if you don't know Git uh, or GitHub, um, a pull request basically is an another user will say, I wrote this code, will you accept it into the code base? So that's how open source works. It's not just everyone writes all the code and just goes together. You do have a maintainer and that's me. So I approve any code that gets added. Um, and I, I learned a little bit of this. Uh, um, uh, I've used a lot of open source software. I've contributed to some, but I've never been a maintainer of a project that I expected to have contributions to. So I'm learning an absolute ton of stuff. And that adds some overhead to the production of, of this project. So if this was just a way to make my game easier to make, um, that's great, but it gets, <laughs> I lose all those benefits because I have to, I'm also maintaining this engine. Um, and that's an, ex I, I took that on, you know, eyes open. Um, but one of the things I needed to learn about Git submodules, because if you have a, a template, like I built the template project, um, as soon as you start changing code, it forks the engine, right? So suddenly if the engine changes, what are you going to do? How do you, how do you incorporate that back into the project that has your game in it now? So a, a submodule is a, is a folder in your project that is its own uh, Git repo that can be updated independently. So um, it's very much similar to kind of just like it's software on your computer, right? You can update it independently of updating your computer. So um, for people who aren't familiar with the sort of trials and, and, and uh, uh, tribulations of Git, um, it's one of those things. So Git submodules is something I learned about, and I, I'm pretty excited to implement that. GitHub templates, that's a feature specifically to GitHub, the, the website that, that hosts um, uh, uh, the, the repo for this project. You can press a button on the, the Noble Engine uh, template page and it will create a new repo in your account that's a copy of that one. And so that becomes your game. And so that is a really, it's extremely easy to get started, um, which is um, I'm really, really pleased about um, because I think a lot of learning as a self-taught programmer, the getting started is the hardest part. Like 
The computer science part is easy compared to the wait. So I need what command line utility? Like, I think um, that's daunting. And it's also something that a lot of people who are already know this stuff. And I'm one of those people now. Um, it's very easy to forget that other people don't know it. And uh, and so we all have we all learned it the hard way and no one learned how to teach it. So um, uh, some of these tools now are make it a little bit easier for people to onboard. And I really want to be part of that um, accessibility. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I also learned about Markdown. Uh, people know Markdown. It's uh, uh, like uh, Discord uses it. Lots of things use it to just a way to, to make rich text out of plain text. Um, but now I'm really good at it because I had to create um, in the on the um, on the page here. I had to create sort of an instructions, like a welcome message, like this is why you might want to use Noble Engine. And so I learned a little bit about how that's formatted, and that's helped me for the project I'm working on with Tendershoot uh, because I'm doing a lot of documentation writing. Uh, there as well. And I decided to do that in Markdown. So that was a really fun consequence of having to learn something. It's like, oh, great. Now I can immediately use it on something else that I'm getting paid for. So that was really exciting. Um, what else we got? Oh, yes. So there was a Nice Games Club episode recently where we talked about open source software with Mark Mandel, another Mark. Uh, he is the, uh, the the head of cloud gaming at Google. And um, he came on to talk about open source kind of as a 101, a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of structure, kind of what I'm talking about, but with, but more learned and a little bit more detailed. It was an incredible episode, um, and that is episode number 217. So you can see the URL there, or you can just go to nicegames.club and look for episode 217. Um, that is, was a great talk that we had with Mark about open source software, why it's important, um, why it's useful to people who are even in a for-profit space, um, you know, why Google is so committed to it and stuff like that. So um, it was a, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. I recommend if you're interested in, in learning more about uh, some of the philosophies from a real true believer. Um, that's a great episode. So check that out. Um, but really, the main reason to 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 distribute this, to put it on GitHub, to make it free, to give it away, um, is because game development is for everyone, right? Um, this is something that I think uh, we in this community of game developers, I think we try to make sure that we make clear when we talk that like it, it, things are hard. Uh, <laughs> It's difficult to get started. It's difficult to keep going. It's difficult to not give up. Um, but the thing is, is we're all we all should be able. We all should have a, ch a chance. And so um, I believe in in, in Panic's mission uh, for the play date in its in terms of accessibility as a consumer product, uh, games for everyone, but also as a development platform, game development for everyone. And I feel maybe arrogance is is one of it, but I feel confident enough that I can contribute to that. Um, and certainly for my own benefit, I'm going to be making products for this, um, but also for believing in this as a development platform. Dev asked me some questions about this in the, at the very beginning of the, of the stream in the pre-show. Um, it sort of hit on this topic exactly, that um, it's important to me that this succeeds as a development platform, independent of it if it succeeds as a, as a, a consumer product. Um, and if that means a bunch of people learn how to make games and then go make them for something else, brilliant. I love that. Um, and this philosophy guides all the decisions I make when I design the engine, because when you make tools, you aren't just designing a thing to fix a problem. You're designing a solution. And, and that means that you have, you're approaching it in a certain way. And it's just like game design. So I approach it like a game designer, the, how do I want the user to feel when they use this tool? Not just, will this tool solve the problem? Um, I want it to answer questions that new developers have when they approach an SDK, like, wait a minute. So I have all these functions I can call, which one do I call first? I want a, 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 um, an organizing principle to say like, well, this is how you can learn the SDK. You may not even use the engine in a, after a while, but like if you can use the engine to learn the SDK and then roll your own solution, great. I think that's a success for the engine. Um, it should also, you know, abstract away as much as possible 
um, to not overwhelm you, but not covering up how it works. So you should always be able to um, see how this is built, know how what it, it, it keeps out of your face, but then peek behind the curtain and see that stuff. So you can kind of see the, the gears turning. That's important to me too. Um, and uh, so, you know, just some of those APIs, which are a little bit difficult to understand uh, how they relate to each other. Uh, basically, a lot of what Noble Engine is, is an example of how to use the SDK. So if, it, if you use that to learn it, and then you can break Noble Engine's rules if you want to. Um, I think that's a valuable service, independent of this code, if this code ever makes it into your own game. Um, it just should be a better way to learn how the device works and a better way to sort of access your abilities and develop your abilities to make games for it. Um, because I think a lot of people have, it's, and it's not just potential, people have skills, they can do it. It's just that there's something preventing them from doing it. It has nothing to do with their ability or their ambition. And, um, and uh, this is very highfalutin, but I feel like even a little code library can help um, on that. And that's why I, I get really fired up about this sort of thing. Okay, so I'm getting to the end of my talk now, getting toward the end, and I really have to answer the question, was this a good idea or not? I preface this by saying this was a mistake, and in a lot of ways it was a mistake to do this. Um, and so let's, let's just say it, this was a bad idea. All right, officially, it's a bad idea for me to make a game engine, and here's why. Nobody asked for this, right? Um, the development community, they're all making their own amazing stuff. Uh, they all have, you know, we're all helping each other. We're all sharing bits of code, and that's been great, but nobody asked for a game engine. Um, and so I don't know if anybody wants one. Um, and that's something that I kind of have to, had to push back as I was making it, is to realize, like, I, I have to convince people to try it out when they already have... They're already figuring out whatever. Um, but also, you know, other tools do exist um, and others may be planned. This is especially true for beginner developers. Um, the SDK is really robust on its own. It, I, I do want to like give Panic a lot of credit for, for uh, providing something that does remind me of the Flash API. It's easy to use. It solves a lot of things that you'd have. And compared to, I mean, for writing applications for a one-bit display, um, where you have to clear the screen and redraw a new and just has a lot of old metaphors for people who come from unity or from a, a game maker or any of those engines where um, and those are not like beginner things, but they just they abstract more of it away. And I think uh, panic's done a great job of making the SDK by itself very approachable. Um, but then on top of that, they're making a tool called pulp, which is um, a web based game making tool. So it's not Think Mario Maker, but with a ton more capabilities. Um, and also, it, it, but you can still do a, a code-free project, right? Um, sort of almost hypercard-like, or, or even if you think about Flash working directly just in the, the Flash program and not, you know, ActionScript as a language. Um, it's it's kind of like that. Um, it has a music sequencer. It has a pixel art generator. It's a full out-of-the-box start-to-finish way to make a game for Playdate. Um, it's limited in the sense that it is uh, designed uh, uh, um, to be sort of WYSIWYG, um, but maybe that's what people will use. Maybe they don't need a game engine. Maybe if you don't need Pulp, maybe you don't need the engine either. So I'm not certain if that's true. Um, and I, the other reason this is a bad idea is I finished my game, everybody. Like I, <laughs> when, I, when I started building this engine in March, um, I, um, it was a couple of weeks where I didn't make any movement at all on my game and I had I'd returned to the code base I worked on a little bit I added some of the bones and then I realized I needed then I realized I had an engine then the work became on organizing that learning everything about LDOC etc and all of that time I wasn't working on my game so that is evidence that this was a bad idea um, and we'll see because um, when the SDK goes public noble engine will be available 
it might take up a lot of my time. Um, so I have to kind of accept that maybe it's going to delay the game. Um, and really, guys, I'm not a good engineer. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good programmer, I guess. But, like, I'm not trained as an engineer. I, I don't have a ton of confidence in my ability to do optimization tests. And, you know, I have a lot of experience now. And I, but I, there's part of me, I have no validation. Um, if it works, it works. That's great. I can get that far. Um, I know some tricks, um, but I don't know what I don't know, if that makes sense. And so that's at the back of my mind as well. And this is true for a lot of self-taught people. It's a little bit of imposter syndrome, I guess. Um, but hey, you know what? Never mind. Let's say this is a good idea. Um, we, I've got reasons for that too. And if you look at the size of this slide, it's about 50-50. Um, so it's putting a lot of my existing knowledge to use. Um, one of the things that um, I feel, especially as I've gotten older, a lot of the experiences I've had that I don't need anymore, um, necessarily. I learned it. I did what I needed to do. Now I can go to the next step. I, I have all of this. And this is true of everybody, I'm certain. You have a lot of knowledge that like, you put to use, and then that's it. And I feel like we only have a, so many spins around the sun. I, and this is not going to go in the Arctic code vault or anything, but like, I would like to make sure that it's written down so somebody else doesn't have to learn it the way I did, which is the hard way. And so that's important to me. Um, and so putting the knowledge to use is really valuable. So, um, you know, I adapted the save data system in the engine from the, the one I developed in Widget Satchel, which is a Unity game. I adapted the input system from the, my uh, game Metro Nexus, which is written in, uh, in hacks. Um, and I, uh, modeled a scene manager, uh, based on an, uh, um, you know, an, an old engine called Citrus Engine, which was a flash engine I worked with a long time ago. And so a lot of those learnings that I took over the years, um, that's why I apply to each project, but like, they were really tough learns. And so um, putting it to use, I think, is, is a valuable thing. So that, that matters to me. Um, but then on top of that, of course, giving is getting. Um, one, there's material uh, benefits, right? Uh, directly. If I make an engine and people uh, contribute it, then that goes into my game too, right? Um, if I make an engine and it makes the platform more popular, then maybe more people will buy my games. Um, that is a material direct uh, benefit. But it's more than that, right? It's the... If I'm if I'm not going to share my knowledge, then why would anybody else, right? So I think I want to go through life always thinking about there's there's value and worth to what you give away, but a big part of that value is creating an environment where other people will give away things to, um, not in exchange, but just as a course of going through your day. That's important to me. So philosophically, this stuff matters to me. Um, and you can see a lot of my good ideas here. Uh, justifications are a lot fuzzier, a little softer than my bad ideas. So in interpret that however you will. Um, but you know, the other reason this is a good idea is in fact, nothing else does like this does exist. Um, as far as I know, it's the complete full framework engine for Playdate. Um, it, that may not be true. There might be folks working uh, um, uh, that I, I don't get access to or I'm not seeing their work. Um, and so, um, you know, that may be uh, other tools which may exist. But at the same time, this is something that I feel if it inspires other engines, if it inspires people to feel like to give it a shot to say like, oh, I want to make for Playdate. Oh, there's an engine for it. OK, I feel a little bit better trying it out, regardless of whether they use the engine or not. I think that's important. So I think um, uh, providing a place, uh, providing something in the market, just to use a phrase, um, I think is pretty valuable because I, I don't believe it exists. Um, and then also just it, as it happens, my day job, and I just started this a couple of weeks ago, is I'm building tools, I'm building frameworks, I'm doing documentation um, for a pretty big project for Tendershoot. And so um, uh, happily, luckily, I'll be able to cross-pollinate my efforts a little bit. I've already seen some examples of that. So that's made this a good idea, which is pretty exciting. Um, and I am already seeing some positive feedback from the developer community. 
Um, that's been really valuable. It's early days. Um, I, I, I'm, I really want to be on the ball with critical feedback and make sure that things get fixed, things get changed, so that it is a tool that people will want to use. Um, so you know what? Maybe I am a good engineer, I guess. Uh, this is, I, I've seen a little bit of evidence of that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, time will tell, I suppose. Um, okay, so that's basically the end of my talk. Um, you can find information about Playdate and the SDK when it is available. Uh, and right now, there's some details on the page already at, at these uh, URLs, play.date, play.date slash dev. Um, Noble Engine itself, when it is available, um, which uh, will, I think, be pretty, pretty soon, um, will be available at uh, their github.com slash noble robot slash noble engine and the project template as well. Um, those will be where you can download that code. And I really would hope people dive in um, as soon as uh, they can. So that's pretty exciting. So um, it's the Q&A time. So I'm, I'm looking back at, at Twitch chat and I will uh, check to see if anybody submitted uh, any questions in the, uh, the Google form as well. Um, have at it. Release date. Oh, that's a mean question. Um, I'm going to say 2022. Um, play dates won't be in people's hands uh, until um, um, uh, the, the near or this fall, but many of the uh, will also ship uh, at, at the beginning of next year. And uh, um, there isn't actually a distribution method yet. I mean, you can always you can always zip up a game and sell it on itch, no problem. Um, and that's going to be a great way because side loading is totally possible on on Playdate. So I think what's great about the the way that Panic is doing it is they're going to have a curated system of their seasons. They're going to I think they want to develop an app store. They've said that um, there's no plans just yet. Um, but also um, they are really ready for people to create their own storefronts to you know put it on a floppy disk and sell it in the park. Like um, there's there's no shortage of ways to get your game. Uh, onto uh, onto a play date, and so uh, uh, markets and models, business models will form around that. So Widget Satchel two, I believe, will come out in uh, uh, I want to say early twenty twenty two, just because that's about as soon as it possibly can. Um, so we'll have to see how long, how much the engine takes up of my time. Um, okay, what else we got here? Um, what are you doing for acceptance testing? Do you let anyone try and make games, or are you doing concept testing only? So right now, um, I'm um, because of the way GitHub works, it's a private repo now. I'm sharing it um, uh, collaborator access with people from the developer community right now, which is already a curated group of folks that Panic has put together. Um, and those folks are the ones who are testing it out. Once it's public, um, I um, you know I just want, and I'm, maybe I'm not understanding acceptance testing as a, as a as a phrase. I'm a, I'm unfamiliar with that if it's a term that means something specific. Um, but basically, I want anyone to just use it for whatever they want, and I would love to get the their learnings to know more about um, how they used it and why. I hope that answers your question. Uh, what's it like to work on fresh tech? Uh, have you had to patch your hardware since you got in early? Um, how did that work with your engine? Well, um, a lot of the that happened last year. The SDK was really unstable and new when I got it, um, but still had a lot of its current functionality. Um, and it only got better and better. And you update the firmware on your device when you update the SDK. Um, and that's a that's a process that'll be very similar to how uh, consumers manage their devices. Um, I only started building this engine this March. Um, so this, the SDK has been relatively stable uh, since that point. And so um, there, I haven't had to do a lot. There's been a couple of cases where I myself have broken uh, the, um, I've done uh, uh, breaking changes in the engine. But since no one's using it yet, or only a couple of people are, I feel kind of comfortable doing that. Um, but no, I think for the, the fresh tech part, a lot of those, those, uh, those difficulties um, are past us now. Um, it's it's almost on its way out the door, so I, I think that's good. And so now is kind of the good time to to 
to build a framework for it is once I kind of knew. So uh, none of this was on purpose. It timed out pretty well. Um, let's see. <laughs> reinventing the wheel is a terrible phrase. It's more like reinventing the whole car. Uh, Slumkey. Yeah, and, and I think you'd know, too. Uh, that's great. Um, let's see. What else we got? All right. No, question, no more questions yet, um, but I'll give you some time uh, to throw some more in the chat. Um, with Playdate also being targeted for underrepresented communities, are there any accessibility capabilities in Noble Engine? That's a really interesting one. I think things like button remapping um, or um, it only has two colors. So like in terms of like being able to um, enable developers to have m different sprites, um, like uh, uh, um, like solid images instead of uh, um, uh, dithered images. So for uh, for easier uh, visibility, I think that's something I would love to be able to provide. So expanding on the sprite API to say load multiple sprite sheets uh, for different um, uh, visibility considerations. I think that's something that I can provide in Noble Engine. It does not have any of that right yet. It's still pretty early days, but that is um, that is something I definitely want to do. Um, is to have those. And I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in that space. So I'm going to want to get people's feedback because I can't count on me having all the good ideas there. Um, so I'm definitely hoping that people give me their ideas and I am happy to build that stuff because I think that's extremely important. Um, Panic's IDE. Yeah, Panic, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but uh, uh, Panic has an IDE called Nova? Is that might be missing it with something else. Um, it's a Mac-only IDE, so I can't use it. And that's a great, if you want to work with the, with the Playdate SDK and you're on a Mac, uh, that is the best way to do it. Uh, it's the, the simulator is built in. It's fantastic. Uh, but for us Windows folks, VS Code is the way to go, which is kind of true for everything you you work in. I, I'm a I love VS Code. Um, memory wise, I'm curious of the limitations. Could you build Kirby or even Link's Awakening? Yes, I believe you absolutely could. Um, one of the things it's it's CPU constrained, so there's only so many things you could do per frame. But man, you could ton a ton of storage, ton of data on there. So. Um, I think um, that's been really interesting. Um, a lot of us in the developer community are doing, and I can actually show you on my um, device here, I kind of previewed it um, before, where you can kind of see it's a bit of, a, it looks like a 3D model that's rotating. And, the, and this, sorry, my camera doesn't autofocus. Um, but these are all just, this is just a 360 frame sprite sheet, right? 360 frames running on top of another 360 frames, which is the maze, which is ma manually generated, on top of a full frame image, on top of a full frame background that's being drawn, redrawn every frame. So I don't know how impressive that is for say an old 8-bit computer, but um, it's something that like, and at the same time, if I want to uh, skew or distort a, an image, um, that takes eight frames of chugging. Like it's, it's amazing the restrictions you have and the ones you don't. Um, and I think that's something that, um, uh, you can, um, uh, you, you will learn around eventually. Um, oh, you meant pulp. Oh, yes, yes. So um, uh, uh, Panic, as a developer of Mac apps, they do have their own uh, a text editor. But um, but yeah, pulp is something that I'd, I have not seen yet personally. Um, I don't I don't have access to it yet. I don't I think the reason is, is because when they asked people they wanted to, I just missed that one. But I suspect that's going to be a fantastic way to get into it. And for people who have no background in, in development at all, I, I would love to have them use Noble Engine as their first way in. Um, but I think pulp is probably, if you want to have fun, I think making your game, I feel like that's going to be an excellent way to do it, especially because it has a music sequencer. It has a, has a pixel, uh, uh, art generator inside of it. Um, it, the, the font I've used the font creation tool in it and it's really, really good. Uh, cause I had to make a couple of custom fonts, uh, for my engine. Um, so the size constraints are what size? I'm not sure what that means. The onboard, the store, there's four gigabytes of onboard storage. 
um, the, uh, the, you can make your game as big as you want, but basically the, if you make it bigger than 20 megabytes, then you kind of get a stern look at from, uh, the other people. Um, tile. Hmm. Not sure if I'm totally understanding you. Um, font creation, music sequencing. Yes. Very, it is very cool. I think, man, I like playing with Mario maker. So maybe pulp will be something that's just so fun that even for those of us who like to get into the weeds, we might have a lot of fun, uh, doing that stuff as well. I'm, I'm really curious to see when that gets fully launched. How's the dev response been once others got a hold of your code? Open source reviewers can be brutal. Ah, yes. What's nice about this is that I know these folks <laughs> casually still through the discord of the, the Playdate community, but um, everyone's been really great. Um, and what's nice is you do need to have an attitude of like, people are going to tell you what's wrong with it. Um, and you have to know that uh, and think back a little bit of empathy when you think about your own. Why, why do you go to a forum to to to? To, uh, to get a support request. It's because something's broken, something's wrong. You feel like the developer made a mistake. And so you're going to point that out. So if you remember when you do that, um, or even as a customer of a product, um, it, it's a little easier to accept it from others. And right now, because the people who I'm um, uh, who have, are giving me feedback are people who I know from the developer forums, it's a lot easier for me to trust their intentions without the sort of like lizard brain of myself going, oh, geez, I'm just complaining. Um, but also, um, it's been, uh, because I'm a little bit unsure of myself in terms of like how ambitious the project is and how much it, that it, it'll be something that people's games will rely on. And I, that's a big responsibility. So I'm being very cognizant of like, I will please let me have it. Um, I'm not precious about, I do have these opinions that I've talked about and that's important to me, but, um, I'm not precious about like, am I, uh, doing this optimization strategy correctly? Uh, because I don't have. Um, you know, uh, maybe if I was a little bit more experienced, I might be more belligerent about that. So, some of that stuff, maybe. So there's some disadvantages that comes from knowing something. Um, but knowing nothing in certain areas, uh, has been uh, beneficial in terms of accepting feedback from people. Um, and I'm, I'm desperate for more of that. I mean, talk to me later when I get a lot of feedback, but currently my view is I cannot wait. What format does one make music for? So the play date has. A, a signal processor, you can make square waves and, and sine waves and triangle waves, and then there's a noise channel. If you've done any um, NES um, uh, music sequencing, which I almost did for a game jam, but I totally failed. Um, so if you've done any of that, the, the, the metaphor should be very similar to you. Um, so you can just create music in code, which is great. That's what the sequencer in Pulp is going to be, is a, is a, is a, a GUI for that. Um, but it also plays waves and it plays MP3s. It's great. And the speaker on the thing is crazy loud. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of oppressive how loud it is. Actually, we all have to set our default volumes all the way down because no one's it's, it's too loud. I'll just say that right now. Um, but it's really exciting. Have you made any requests to panic for, to update firmware features? Yes. Panic has been very good about, uh, um, sort of what I aspire to in the feedback I want to receive for, uh, for the engine is they've been incredibly good about the SDK. Um, in fact, I was having a problem with, um, the, the scene I was showing you with the crank and the turning, uh, um, uh, a 3d looking robot. Um, I was having some difficulty with, uh, generating those files and, uh, doing the, 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 the transforms to get the squishing and scaling just right for that faux 3d effect. And I was talking directly to the SDK's author about this. I sent him my project. He found two bugs that my code revealed in the SDK and that's coming out in the next SDK version There's fixes for that. So. Um, they've been, I think it's an advantage for this, the smaller size of the community. It's tiny, um, but it's small enough that they, that, and I've been very lucky to be able to have the ear of the folks who are putting together the software. And, um, and I'm, I'm so pleased of that. And just the work they've been doing is so fantastic. Um, but it's been a long coming. Some of the, 
you know that the this this has been a uh, this has been in the the hopper in the in the oven for a long time. I'm I'm I can't wait for my game, for my engine, for you know all this stuff to come out. But like um, being part of this community, you now have a little bit of investment in the folks who are making this stuff. Uh, you, you get to know them a little bit, and you uh, admire them, and you hope that they do well, and you know how long they've been working on it. Um, and they've been fantastic about things like feedback and making sure that they ask questions. Uh, is it working for us? Um, there was a breaking change they were going to uh, do that. They were like, well, our policy at this point is to not do any breaking changes, but we do this to fix a bug. Is it okay with everybody if we break this part of the SDK? And everybody's like, yes, it's fine. Go ahead. And like, they wanted our opinion before they made a breaking change. And I think that's really valuable. So yeah, it's been a great experience. Okay. That's our show. I'm going to dispense with the usual outro here because I don't have my nice game co-hosts with me. Feels a little wrong, I think. Um, but I'm just going to say you can go to the website, nicegames.club, and get the notes from this episode. Of course, you can also see the full video presentation um, of this talk. Um, the uh, Noble Engine is uh, now available. Of course, you can't make much use of it without the Playdate SDK. But uh, I do encourage you to uh, um, take a look anyway, poke around, um, see if it looks interesting to you. Um, and then bookmark it so that when the plated SDK is available, you can come back and check it out. There you go. So until we start again, remember to do those things that Ellen and Steven tell you to. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.